Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What do you know about biathlon? It's a winter sport where first you ski cross-country like the clappers, then you do the second part of the bi and shoot at targets, then repeat. The Austrian police issued a statement and said that they were concerned about banned substances and they also said they were investigating the allegation that gifts had been received by people high up in the IBU. The IBU, the International Biathlon Union, has been in the news recently not for the athleticism of its competitors or the sport's recent popularity on TV, but the affairs of its top administrator. This is a story where, without governance, things can go radically wrong. And the reason why things went radically wrong is that lots of people have ways of doing business that wouldn't be 100% right. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, guns, skis and corruption. I'm David Walsh. Chief sports writer at the Sunday Times for the last 20 years. I like writing about sports and I've always been drawn to stories that expose wrongdoing in sport. David, tell me a bit about biathlon because I really know nothing about it. Biathlon is a sport that actually goes back a long way. I mean, remarkably, considering that Britain would never consider itself a mecca of winter sport, we don't exactly get a lot of snow. Britain was the place where in the 1940s, biathlon and modern pentathlon came into existence as an organised sport with an international federation. And it was also in the UK in 1993 that the two sports decided to go their separate ways, creating two new federations. In the Radisson Edwardian Hotel at Heathrow. Again, coincidences really. But that was when biathlon came into existence as a standalone sport on the international scene. And it changed the game for biathlon because on their own, they've done remarkably well. Right, just a bit more info on what biathlon actually is. It's a race in which contestants ski through a cross-country trail system whose total distance is divided into shooting rounds, half conducted lying down, the other half standing. Depending on the shooting performance, penalties are added to the contestant's total skiing distance or time. The contestant with the shortest total time wins. Simple, really. So on with the show. Is a mixture of physical endurance with cross-country skiing and precision of turning up at a shooting range with your heart pounding at 170, 180 beats per minute. And then you have to show this kind of sniper's coolness and accuracy in hitting a target to maintain your position if you're amongst the leaders or to go and win. And 
believe it or not, it's become a huge TV sport in continental Europe. I mean, there are Norwegians that I've spoken to in the last week that insist that in the middle of the winter months, biathlon is a more popular TV sport in their country than football. What makes the sport such a compelling TV sport is that somebody who's 17th overall can go to the range and hit the target and perform at the range in a way that allows them to catapult themselves from 17 to first. And it has a volatility that very few sports have. I was saying to my wife when I was researching the story, I said, do you know there's lots of people who watch this sport? <laughs> and my wife said, well, I do. And I said, when? And she said, oh, at different times I go in, you probably think I'm watching the golf. I'm not, I'm watching biathlon. And she said she loved it. And I had no idea she watched it. But David's wife's viewing preferences are not the reason he and I are discussing biathlon. That story starts in Salzburg in 2018. Three years ago, the police turned up at the International Biathlon Union headquarters. And that seemed a really weird thing. Austrian police turning up at the IBU headquarters in Salzburg and taking away computers and interviewing all the staff. And then we were told that the head of that union had also had a visit from the police at his farm in Norway. And we were told that the general secretary, a German woman called Nicole Resch, that she had had a visit from the police and she'd had computers seized. So that obviously alerted the world to the fact that something was seriously amiss at the International Biathlon Union. And the police investigations into those two people are ongoing. Police were investigating the actions of Anders Besserberg, the International Biathlon Union president, and his number two, the union's general secretary, Nicole Resch. The IBU reacted to the raid by setting up its own independent commission led by London-based QC, Jonathan Taylor. And a little over two weeks ago, Jonathan Taylor, the London QC, who did the report, published his report, presented it to the IBU, who put it on their internet, there for everybody to read. And in a sense, that was the story, that was the minutiae of what had happened at the IBU. Let's go back for a moment to 2018 and the police raid. At that time, what did we understand to be the reason for why they were there? Did they say, we have come in, we're raiding this because? Yes, they did. The Austrian police issued a statement and said that they were concerned about banned substances, the indication being that the IBU hadn't properly prosecuted cases of doping and accusing people at the head of the IBU of covering up doping. Now, in Austria... Doping is a criminal offence. So if you cover up doping, and it can be proved that you covered up doping, you will have committed a criminal offence, hence the involvement of police. They also said they were investigating the allegation that gifts had been received by people high up in the IBU and that these gifts had been given in return for favours to Russia because the gifts were coming from Russia to IBU people. And the Austrian police went as far as to say that there was a payment of $300,000 that they were also investigating. So that seemed pretty serious and certainly it got people's attention. So essentially, they had been presumably tipped off or told that there was a possibility that people at the IBU had been turning a blind eye to Russian doping, presumably, 
in return for gifts. That seems like a very good point at which you can explain to us who Anders Besserberg is, what kind of a man he is, and a little bit about him. He was a, a high-level biathlete from Norway. His occupation was a farmer. He ended his career as a biathlete relatively early and became a coach. He actually, in the mid-70s, was coached to the GB team. I think he spent two years coaching British biathlon and would have been the coach for the British biathletes trying to compete in the Winter Games at Innsbruck in 1976. So after that, he becomes the Norwegian coach, which is a bigger job, and it's his home country. And then he gets involved in the Norwegian Biathlon Union and becomes head of that. Before modern pentathlon and biathlon decided to get divorced in that Heathrow Hotel in 1993, Besserberg was vice president of the joint union. He was the logical guy to become the biathlon union president. So it was pretty natural that Besserberg became the first president of the newly formed International Biathlon Union. He basically has been president ever since. You know, people were very happy with him because the sport was growing, the revenues were coming in, and remarkably, biathlon was doing really well on its own. Was that a, a well-remunerated post? No, it wasn't, David. And this is an interesting point. Presidents of international federations are, generally speaking, chief executive officers. They perform that dual role, unless there's a chief executive officer. And in this case, there wasn't. So Anders Besseberg was president and de facto CEO. He initially awarded himself 20,000 euros a year. And that would rise to 30,000 in latter years. But basically, he paid himself very little. And I imagine from the people on the executive board point of view, that would have been very reassuring in the sense that Nobody could have said, well, the president is just in it for what he can get out of it, because he's not getting very much out of it. He had such authority as the president, de facto CEO, that if he had requested a higher salary, he certainly would have got that. For example, Oli Dahlen, the Swede who has taken over from Besseberg, who now is the current president, he immediately put that salary up to 120,000 euros per year, which was a fourfold increase. Nobody thinks that Dahlen is being overpaid. If anything, he's probably being underpaid. But Besseberg underpaid himself to a considerable degree. The other person under investigation is a woman called Nicole Resch. Nicole Resch was a former East German who competed at biathlon to a decent level, but not an outstanding level. She became involved in the IBU. She trained as a lawyer. She got kind of legal qualification. She joined the IBU and her role was really understudy to the Secretary General, who was the kind of the big administrator constantly based in the IBU offices at Salzburg. In 2008, the Secretary General departed the IBU after falling out with President Besserberg. And Besseberg promotes Nicole Resch from understudy to secretary general. So she had a remarkable rise. And her rise really was accounted for by the fact that Besseberg liked her and wanted her in that position. Initially, people liked her and she was friendly and charming. So they're a partnership. And they're the people, essentially, who are running biathlon in the run-up to 2018. Then you get the police investigation and people essentially reporting that something is going on. And now we have the Taylor report. What do we now know that this is a story of? What happened? 
This is a story where without governance, things can go radically wrong. And the reason why things went radically wrong is that lots of people have ways of doing business that wouldn't be 100% right. And <laughs> Russia's way of doing business certainly wasn't. In that, say, I'm in Siberia, and I'd love to bring a World Cup meeting of biathlon to my hometown in Siberia. But it's quite difficult because we're a bit far away. Well, Russia will say, we can organize that. We'll provide charter planes. We'll really look after you. And then they say to the president, we know, Mr. President, that you like hunting. When you come to Siberia, we'll show you the best hunting you've ever seen. So he goes to Siberia and he loves the hunting and he gets it free. He gets taken off in a helicopter. They shoot deer from the air and he thinks it's the most wonderful experience. And does the venue in Siberia get another World Cup meeting? Of course it does. Now, that's the way that influence works. You may not even have to pay a big bribe to get something, although that would happen too in different situations. But you give little favors, and in return for favors, you get looked upon favorably. But the problem is, of course, the favors, as time goes on, become bigger, and the gifts become greater, and objectivity is compromised, and people get sidetracked when they should be applying regulations. So you start off getting a, a hunting trip and you then graduate, what, to other favours? Yeah, like a fantastic watch. Like somebody in Russia gives you a watch as a gift and you think the watch is really nice, it looks great. And you're leaving the airport um, in Moscow and there's a huge duty-free there. And you find a luxury watch shop and you look at your watch and you realise it's 20,000 euros. I think Andres Besseberg was given 14 luxury watches. How many? 14. Yeah. He certainly is a man who could give you the time of day. <laughs> 14 luxury watches, and I'm presuming that you could find a market for at least 13 of them. And if yeah. they're 20,000, then that actually is 13 times the annual salary that he was paying himself. And I'm not sure that it was a really big money thing. And Besseberg himself is utterly emphatic that he didn't take bribes, that this notion of big money changing hands is a nonsense. I think he was won over by three things. The hunting trips were hugely important. He loved those. I think he enjoyed his gifts to watches, and he certainly enjoyed the company of his interpreters, the young Russian women who were chosen to interpret for him. And according to everybody who was around, they weren't just interpreters. They would end up in his bedroom. Mostly one interpreter, but sometimes two. Sorry, at the same time? At the same time, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Russia doesn't do things by halves. I know, but you'd have thought that by the time you get to the interpreters coming on to you, if you're some kind of old guy, etc., the penny drops with you, wouldn't you? Yeah, I wouldn't underestimate male vanity, David. <laughs> okay. I'm prepared to be instructed at all times. In a moment, David and I will look at the effects the gifts had on the judgment of Anders Besseberg. But I just wanted to remind you that to enjoy more remarkable stories every day and find out what David Walsh is up to, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Now, of course, you could argue that although these things are bad and that they're wrong, at this point, they don't actually influence the sport in a desperately malign way. But it does begin to get much worse than that, doesn't it? There was a a pivotal moment in uh, 2009 because the International Biathlon Union had a medical committee and quite a good medical committee. These were volunteers. They weren't paid. But the medical committee of the IBU was quite good. And a Canadian doctor, Jim Carabray, led that committee. And he basically discovered a form of EPO that wasn't being detected at the time. It really, in my mind, started in 2009 when we found that new drug the Russians were using, the, bio, you know, the biosimilar epigen. You know, yes. EPO, or erythropoietin, is a drug commonly used to treat anemia. It works by boosting the number of oxygen-carrying red blood cells in your blood. In athletic terms, is the difference between being in the pack and being the outstanding winner. And in 2009, the International Biathlon Union Medical Committee discovered that three Russians were positive for a version of EPO that had been undetectable up to that point. It was what they called a biosimilar EPO. The medical committee thought they'd done pretty well. Now, those Russians were sanctioned. They appealed their case, but they lost and they got bans. And after that, it was just weird. We began to have more pressure that basically we're being told that we're testing the Russians too much, that we should you know, spread the testing out amongst other <laughs> yes. federations. Anders Besseberg and Nicole Resch weren't impressed. And they were confused by that because they thought what they'd done was really good. Yes. And Anders Besseberg would say things like, you can't have this concentration on Russia, testing just Russians. I said, well... Why would we want to do that when they're 90%, 95% of the cheats are coming from Russia? We should test yes. that proportionally. And Bestberg didn't think that was good. He thought it would it looked too obvious that we were targeting them. And so, well, that's the purpose. Hmm. And Nicole Resch started a process of disempowering the medical committee, making them irrelevant, not telling them what was going on, not sharing information with Nicole, them. Nicole uh, wasn't interested in basically us as a medical group having much input in terms of what went on in Saatchi. I tried to go there before the Olympics, and she tried to block me from doing it, and the IOC wanted me there. 
And of course, the medical committee guys are basically amateurs and they don't want the stress of fighting all the time. I said if she wanted to take over things, I presume she'd be doing it in a logistical, uh, responsible way. You know, it wasn't my livelihood, you know, that I had yeah. to, to fight for. And, 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 and it Nicole Resch succeeds in making the medical committee pretty irrelevant. That, of course, freed up Nicole Resch and Andres Besseberg to play the tune that Russia wanted them to play, which was to ignore Russian doping wherever they found it or to minimize the fallout for Russia. But of course, we're now up to 2014, 2015. Things are happening on a world stage. They certainly are. After a former Russian athlete and her anti-doping agent husband made a tell-all appearance in a German television documentary in December 2014, the dominoes exposing the scale of the Russian doping operation started to fall. Yulia Stepanova, Russian champion, world-class athlete turned whistleblower. Branded a traitor in her motherland, she and her husband helped to expose cheating in Russia on a colossal scale. An independent investigation into Russian state-sponsored doping in sport says more than a thousand athletes benefited from an institutional conspiracy to conceal positive tests. And the McLaren report says Russia has a state-sponsored system of doping and biathlon is one of the big sports for doping. So now Resch and Anders Besseberg have a big problem because the McLaren report names biathlon as a sport with a major doping problem. The report itself is not telling us that here we are having evidences, we are having proof, we are having a lot of positive doping cases. That's not the fact of the report. We need a lot of other evidence on the table. And Besseberg's initial response was to say, the McLaren report is not worth the paper it's written on, which was kind of echoing the hardline Russian view. And his own committee are thinking, why is our president so pro-Russia? And of course, they think back to the hunting trips. They think back to the interpreters and the companionship that Anders enjoyed with the interpreters. And they think, this is why. Besseberg wasn't alone in enjoying Russian hospitality. They know that Nicole has become friendly with a Russian called Sergei Kushenko, who was involved in the Russian Biathlon Union and was a vice president on the International Biathlon Union. You know, a charming man who ran the sports empire of an oligarch called Mikhail Prokhorov. And Nicole loved the kind of involvement with guys who were so powerful, so rich. Mikhail Prokhorov owned a team in the NBA in the US. So Nicole would go off to New York and see and watch the team play. So it was all, could I use the word, seductive. She became involved in that while the big boss, Besseberg, was on his hunting trips. Well, I mean, what you're describing is classic spycraft. It's grooming in order yes. to turn somebody to your advantage. And it worked spectacularly well until such a point that it became ridiculous. The IBU had agreed that the 2021 World Championships, which were held in Slovenia last week, well, four years ago, they were going to be in Russia. And a lot of people were saying, especially the World Anti-Doping Agency, is no international federation can give a world championships to Russia because they're now the pariah of world sport. Their anti-doping agency is non-compliant, so we don't deal with Russia anymore. They can't have any international world championships. But somehow, 
the International Biathlon Union was saying, well, we're going to have our world championships in Russia and nobody is going to tell us we can't. The meeting seemed destined for Russia until Besserberg began to encounter resistance from the top biathletes themselves. And then there was a turning point at Antols in Italy when a group of athletes basically faced down Andres Besseberg. Max Cobb, who was head of US Biathlon, was at that meeting. And they said, either you announce that there's going to be a special congress at the World Championships to deal with this, or we're going to protest at the um, World Cup race on Sunday. Wow. And that moved him. Yes. Um, like nothing else. Mr. Besseberg, you continue with this. And on Sunday, at this World Cup event, we're going to make a public protest on TV. Really? Yes. Everybody who watches Biathlon on Sunday will see us protesting against you. You will be named in our protests for being corrupt. Wow. And that was the watershed moment. And Andres Besseberg backed down. It had been an unprecedented protest. The tide was turning against Besseberg, and the issue it raised was just how the IBU had been governed. There were no fixed terms. There was no means for the executive board to kind of group together. Because what happens in a situation like this is that in the IBU is like many international federations. It says each country has one vote. So you have a country like Norway and a country like Germany, which are huge biathlon countries where the TV audience is, is really big. Germany, where most of the sponsors will come from, most of the revenue is coming from. And then you have a country like Latvia that has a very small audience, a relatively low number of biathletes, but they have the same vote. So when it's coming to voting for different things, are we going to have a World Cup event in Russia? Well, the Latvia vote is exactly the same as the German vote. And what people like Anders Besseberg and others in international federations have done is to say, all I need to do is to woo the smaller countries, give them something that makes them loyal to me. So what Russia would say, for example, is, look, Latvia, if you vote for Russia getting the world championships, you can have your training camp in Russia next year and everything will be paid for by us, regarded as an act of kindness from a big country to a small country. And all you've got to do is just cast your vote in our favour. It's how many of the kind of people who became sporting dictators did it. They identify this, this crack in the system, which is that the smallest country in the world has the same voting right as the biggest country. The biggest country in the world, you're not going to be able to corrupt them because whatever you're offering them won't much matter. When you wanted to be president of the International Cycling Union, you went down to Africa and you gave away 200 bikes to some kids in a township. And that got you the vote of that country. And it was a pretty simple way of winning an election in a fraudulent way. Let's go back to what's happened at the IBU. So you get the police raids and you get the Taylor report, which came out very recently. What concretely has been the consequence of this? What has the IBU done and what have the police done? Well, the police are still investigating, so we don't really know except the investigations are ongoing. 
Um, there's an investigation into Anders Besseberg that the Norwegian police are involved in and the Austrian police, and the Austrian police are investigating Nicole Resch. Those investigations are ongoing. The IBU obviously couldn't, couldn't sit back and wait and say, we await the outcomes of the police investigation. They immediately launched their Taylor Commission to produce the report, which has now come out. And, and what that report says is that Anders Besseberg and Nicole Resch even if they were to survive the police inquiries, they have a hell of a lot of questions to answer at IBU level. So the chance of either of them ever working in sports administration, again, I'd say is pretty minimal. But what the IBU has done, because there was lots of good people on the IBU, they certainly weren't all bad. And the good people that were left after the police raids, they'll have the moral authority. So they've set up an integrity unit and that's something that a well-off sports international federation can do. And their integrity unit starts off with four people who are basically detectives who can go around, see where there may be athletes cheating or administrators being in some way corrupt and investigate them. And that investigative integrity unit has total autonomy. They don't ask the IBU, can we go and test this athlete? Can we go and investigate this administrator? They do it and they produce results. Integrity units have been introduced into other sporting organisations, most notably World Athletics, which was rocked by a scandal involving its corrupt former president, Lamine Diak. As a result, World Athletics is now perceived as having set a leading international standard of governance. Biathlon now has the chance to follow virtuous suit. But what are the two protagonists themselves? What has happened to Nicole Resch? She has asserted her innocence. Apparently, Nicole is now married. She changed her name. And there is a word out there that she feels really happy about the fact that the police turned up because it brought a forced end to a life that she really wasn't enjoying. And Anders Besseberg, who denies the charges against him. He's protesting. He said publicly to talk about prostitutes is nonsense. It's not an easy situation, David, because this is a, a married man whose family didn't know what was happening. So it's been a huge upheaval in his personal life. He let things get out of hand. And although it's been extremely tough and you have a certain amount of sympathy for him, if somebody were to say he brought it on himself, that's harsh, but it's also true. Well, it is because there were many points during the course of this, as you've described it, where he could have said to himself, no, that's not where this should be going. This is not what I should be doing. I'm not going to do this. Many points. Max Cobb, the chief executive and president of US Biathlon, he likened it to a man being in quicksand. I suspect, though I don't know, that this Russian influence operation was deliberate and yes. began, you know, in small stages and grew over time. Yeah. And eventually he found himself up to his waist in quicksand and couldn't get out. The situation where the harder you try to extricate yourself, the deeper you find yourself in it. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. 
My guest today was Sunday Times Chief Sports Writer David Walsh. And you can read more of David's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Carla Patella. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.